Hello, everyone. Welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is your host, Valerie. I am so excited to be here with all of you today, and I am really excited to welcome my guest. Hi, Patrick Mason. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Valerie. Thanks for having me. It is so good to have you here today. We were set up, Patrick and I, (laughs) a common friend of ours, Carolyn Pearson, uh, told me, she says, oh, I want you to, you know, you need to meet Patrick Mason. And I thought, well, I've read some of his books, so I would love to meet him. And so here we are uh, getting ready to have a good conversation today on, on this podcast. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. When Carolyn says to do something, that the right answer is to say yes. Isn't so. that the truth? I know. She asked me a favor the other day and I said, anything for you, Carolyn. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> she's a joy, uh, such a gift to our our church tradition. So Absolutely. So anyways, I would love before we get going on, so we have some plans on what we want to talk about today, but before we do that, Patrick, would you give us a little bit of uh, a, maybe a, a bit of a bio of you specifically how a little bit just in general, but then also I'd love to hear, and I think I, my audience would love to hear how did you come sort of stumbling into the space of faith crisis and expansion? Because that's kind of how you described yourself in our last conversation. So I think that's fair to say. Yeah, stumbling is absolutely the right word. Uh, I mean, I'm born and raised in, in the church. I grew up in in Utah and Sandy, a, a suburb of Salt Lake, a, a pretty standard Mormon upbringing, uh, I think. And professionally, I'm a, I'm a historian. So I went to Notre Dame, got a PhD in American religious history. I've always been interested in religion, interested in history, interested in these kinds of things. So, so my my plan all along was to pursue a career teaching and writing academic books that nobody would read or care about, other than a very small handful of other academics. And I was well on my way doing that. I was very successful uh, fulfilling that dream. But in the let's see, it would have been around 2013 or so, a friend of mine uh, named Tom Griffith, uh, he he approached me and he said, hey, you know, this this is when like, you know, everything was just raging with the internet and faith crisis was kind of like a new thing, but exploding uh, everywhere. And there were almost no resources. I mean, like 2013 was the first gospel topics essay that the church put out. I think that was the year that Terrell and Fiona Givens published Crucible of Doubt. Maybe that was even next year, 2014 which was like the first book to ever take this on in a Latter-day Saint context. So like literally there was there was nothing out there. People were floundering. Like the internet was aflame with all this stuff, but but there there were not podcasts like this. I mean, it was it was it was really tough. So 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 Tom reached out to me and he said, "Hey, look, the you know, the Bushmans and the Givenses are going around giving firesides to people, you know, just trying to talk with people. Do you want to join them?" And I did, and I I started getting on the fireside circuit. I like, what did I know? Like, I mean, but what did any of us know, right? We, we were literally just making this up as, as we went along because nobody had trained me, nobody had taught me, you know, this was all new language. This was new space for us. But just the more and more I did this, the, the more and more I talked to people, mostly just listening to people's stories, offering whatever I could based on my training as a historian. And, and that's really how it happened. It really was just like stumbling into it. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget one woman I always did Q&A at the end of Firesides and and one woman just like had this look of pain in her eyes. She just like needed something. She's like, when is somebody going to write a book about this? 
say again, I, th- I think, you know, Crucible of Doubt wasn't even out yet. And and my answer all along had been like, oh, well, somebody else is going to do that. I have very important academic books to write that nobody will read. But but it was it was the it was the pain in, in this woman's eyes that was like that convinced me. I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing that. So I wrote Planted and and then you know kind of snowballed from there. But so so for me, yeah, it was it was an accident, but it's been a, a happy accident in the sense that I feel really privileged and and blessed to have been entrusted with people's stories, to be invited into people's lives, and then to do whatever I can to to, to maybe help along the way. Wow. I'm very touched already by what you've said, and I'm resonating really strongly with so much that you're talking about, especially when you talk about the pain. Absolutely. That, uh, That people feel in this space this might be the earliest on a podcast I've ever gotten emotional, Patrick. <laughs> it's usually more toward the end. Yeah, right. Whew. Okay, but I, okay, let me just gather myself to just say that because of the work that I also feel like I stumbled into and the support groups that I run each, almost every day, these are some of the finest human beings. Absolutely. That are earnest lovers of God who have such a, desire to not only be true to themselves, but to reconcile a lot of the struggles that they're feeling in the context of how do I both make sense of some of the things that I don't understand and that don't agree with, but I also want to, this seems to be very, um, this is pertinent specifically in the work that I'm recently doing with some of the people that I'm working with, which is a lot of who we have become and our identities are molded in beautiful ways around our upbringing in and around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it is incredibly complex and incredibly painful for people. And so like you, I think there is such a beautiful sacred space for us to continue to be carving out to help people help themselves into whatever feels the best for them without yeah. an agenda. Uh, because I don't know that we've done a very good job of that um, earlier on. It was really more agenda oriented, like how can we keep you in a certain place where we want to keep you rather than how can we help you feel seen and known and close to God on your own terms? And I think that's what you are working towards. And that's what I am working towards. And I hope that's what this podcast does in each and every episode. And we're going to try to um, actually specifically work uh, talk about a specific population today Uh, So let me just give everybody a little bit of an overview of of not only what we're going to talk about today, but also of things to come in our next episode. So Patrick and I, in our conversation preparing for this, he shared with me something that was really uh, pretty fun for me to hear. uh, And I'll let you kind of expand on this in a minute, but I want to give everybody a little bit of a a, a sense of where we're headed today. He mentioned to me that he uh, sort of has started to put together a venue for college students to come. Is this in your home, Patrick? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So uh, essentially he runs, I don't even know if you want to call it a group. Mine are very formal groups, but yours are sort of a, I don't know, like a soiree fireside sort of thing. <laughs> soiree. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what uh, Eugene England used to call his gatherings yeah. that he uh, yeah. put together in the olden days back in Provo. And so anyways, Patrick does this and it's a venue for him to listen and to talk to and to work with college students. And so when we were just getting to know one another, I thought, oh my goodness, what a beautiful touch point because I actually do the very same thing in a slightly different venue. I am an actual, you know, I'm a therapist. And so I do a little bit more facilitating and talking. It's a little more formal, but the essence of what we both do 
is actually very, very similar, which is we offer a safe space for individuals um, who are somehow connected to this faith tradition. We offer them a safe space to speak and to feel and to process and to not feel alone in their struggles. And so today we're going to focus um, exclusively on the population that Patrick is most acquainted with, which is college students. And then in our next episode, we're going to talk about the relationship uh, that I have with, interestingly, I do have a few Gen Zers in my groups, but most of them are a little bit older, all the way up to, I think I have somebody, I think I have a couple of people that are in their seventies. So it spans really from the late twenties to the seventies and it's male and female in my groups. But we're going to just talk about uh, what it's like to be in each of these spaces. And I'm really excited for this episode specifically, Patrick, because I have a little bit of uh, professional career envy. Uh, I I spent a couple of years, uh, many years ago, looking into the possibility of going to uh, get a PhD to become a counselor educator. And so the idea of your being in the classroom with college students is something that I, I think it sounds like really, really beautiful and exciting. I know that sounds maybe kind of weird for those who don't, you know, find education all that beautiful and exciting, but to me it is. <laughs> so, it's it's pretty great, I have to yeah. say. Yeah. So, okay, go ahead and start us off if you would, Patrick, on what do you notice about university students in the in the context of what we're doing and how uh, sort of this particular time and space in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I'd love for you to address, you know, both the bright sides and the dark sides. Like, yep. Let's cover the whole spectrum here. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll uh, get into it by kind of uh, telling a little bit about how about, about how this group started. The, 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 my wife and I are this soiree uh, that the we're having in, in our home. So, so I had, um, it was about a year ago, you know, like, like we talked about, I, I've been in this kind of faith transition, faith crisis space for now a decade or, or so, given lots of firesides and podcasts and and talks and, and and various kinds of things. And a lot of that has been like, you know, you go visit a place, you give a fireside and then you leave, right? It's kind of like parachute in and 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 it's it's kind of one time where you're on a podcast, you're just kind of like broadcasting out to 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 the void. I mean, you, you hope that that it helps somebody, but but you don't have that direct interaction, and it's been great. It's been terrific, and I, and and I and I've enjoyed it. But but I really it started settling on my heart about a year ago, really a, a, a kind of deep impression of what are you doing for the people right in front of you? Mm. It's great that you're doing all this other stuff, right? Um, it's all good. It's all they're all good things. But what are you doing for the people right in front of you? And and what? What that translated into for for me and in my mind and high heart were were these students right right in front of me. I'm on a campus here with 25,000 students. A majority of them are LDS or at least LDS background. So what am I doing for them? And so I actually got got in touch with the the institute director here, who's a terrific guy. Like absolutely gets it totally on top of it. Just an amazing guy, great minister and teacher of the gospel. Uh, and, and then a, another professor um, who also uh, was having similar kinds of concerns. And, and we said, what can we do? And, and we decided, well, maybe the first thing we can do is we, is we can listen uh, rather than us deciding we know everything and, and we're, we're going to solve all these problems, right? Maybe we should just listen to people. So, so we gathered together um, just through our own contacts and students who had been in our offices and and things like this, we we just invited them to a listening session, uh, and about two dozen of them showed up. We just did it in a classroom on campus one afternoon, and we just started with the question. We said, "What are your needs 
spiritually, religiously, emotionally, that you feel like the church and the Institute are not filling. That's really amazing. And, and then, and then we just sat in the back and then we just listened and, and they took over and it was, you know, they talked for, we were there for an hour and a half and they were amazing. And, and some of the things that came out were, were really quite striking. Some, some you could have anticipated, but, but others uh, not so much to a person. They all talked about this deep desire, this craving for human connection, for real connection. I mean, several of them like held up their phones and said, we are addicted to these things and we hate them. Right. It's it's like addiction oftentimes uh, happens. Right. And and they say we we know that these aren't real connections. We know the virtual world is not the real world. Like we crave real human connections. And and we like it when the church can help provide that, but too often it's 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 not in, in the way that we want. They said we want more spaces where we can talk to each other and not be talked at. Oh wow. They said we want places where we can be treated as adults, where we can where we're not juvenilized, uh, if if that's a word. You know, we're not treated still as teenagers. We we, we want spaces where we can really connect with Christ. Uh, the, the, one of the striking things that just came up over and over again was just how Christ-centered they are. Like, this is a generation, at least, that, that we've raised within the church that is deeply, like, it, it, it's worked. All, all the preaching, all the teaching that we've done uh, for the past several years has worked, at least in the, the students I've talked to, they are converted to Christ. And they are converted to Christ first and foremost above the church, above anything else, like they are converted to Christ and, and they want to be disciples of Christ. And that that came out loud and clear. And so, so you know, there's these kinds of messages and it was, it was, it was, it was amazing. And, and so I walked away from that and, and, and talked with just, you know, the handful of students that, that I knew personally, and they said, well, what are we going to do? How do we continue this? And, and I kind of said, well, just like start a group, like start, start talking to each other. But, but I think they didn't quite have the wherewithal or the space or maybe a feeling of permission or, or something like that. They still felt a little bit adrift. And so so my wife and I, you know, Melissa and I just said, all right, we'll we'll just open up our home. And and so we did. So and, and it started just word of mouth. We just told these students, we said, invite your friends. And and so they started coming over every other Sunday night. And it was as as you mentioned with no agenda. So it wasn't a lesson. It wasn't me talking to them. It wasn't me telling them everything they should know or do. It was literally like they showed up the first day we had dessert. And then it was like, all right, what do you all want to talk about? And and more often than not, that's that's what we do. Since they have a group chat. So sometimes they decide on a topic they want to talk about, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes we all just show up and uh, it's just kind of whatever emerges out of the conversation. And so uh, we, every week we have at least 25 or 30, sometimes up to 50. That's, that's a, that's a little tough, uh, to, to fit in our house, a little tough for a conversation dynamic, but it's just been beautiful, um, to, to, to hear them, to talk with them, to learn from them and just let them, you know, they have, they have plenty of wisdom. They have plenty of experience. They have things to share and, and to teach each other. So, so I'm not there as the guru. I'm not there as the professor. Uh, Melissa and I are learning just as much as they are. I am absolutely struck by several of the things that you talked about. And I want to actually, if we may, let's just stay there. And I want to just yeah. circle us back to a couple of things so that you can either uh, say a little bit more about those, so a couple of these things, or so that we can just go deeper into those things. The, the part where you said such goodness 
and seekers of truth amongst these young people, uh, college age people. I want to be specific here when we talk about what we're referring to, who these are not students. They don't have to be college students. They happen to be college students in your particular venue, Patrick, right? But yep. all of us out there who are listening to the show, whether it's we are uh, college age, Gen Z, or have or love someone in our in our lives, this this is a beautiful, incredibly powerful spiritual generation. And I'm, I'm thinking, actually, I'm a little partial because I have a couple of daughters that are this very age, two, two college-age daughters, who are in different places uh, in their relationship with the church. And two of the most spiritual women I've ever had the privilege of knowing, and some of the reasons why they struggle with the church is because of their valiance. That's the thing, right? And I think once we figure this out, those of us who are older, this might help us, right? That that they learned everything we taught them in primary. Like they actually believe that stuff. When when we say love everyone, they do. Right? right? When we right. say love like Jesus loves, they do. When when we teach them to sing, I'll walk with you, those are those are the values they internalize. And and so it's kind of cute when they sing it as eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds, right? But then they grow up to be 18 and 19 or 28 and 29. And those are the values they're carrying with them into the world, right? And and they're they're applying them not just to everybody else, but they're applying them within the church too, exactly. right? And, and they expect the community that they're a part of to live up to the values that it taught them in the first place. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that yeah. beautiful that they have so deeply integrated what they what they were taught in I'll walk with you. That's a beautiful example. Sort of circling us back to Carolyn, yeah. right? Is that we as disciples of Jesus Christ don't have a conditional morality. Like we believe that and we're going to stand up for that. And I think that is the spiritual gift of that generation. And I think that's what puts such attention upon them because I think they also experience a desire for the loyalty of you know, what, what their parents taught them and what the church teaches right. them. And how do I like navigate this thing? And that sort of speaks to one of the other things that you said you learned from your students as you were sort of deciding to put, before you put the group together. I love that, like almost like a little think tank or something like that with these mm -hmm. university students. Something that I was really struck by is you talked about their, their craving for authentic connection. And I actually thought about this in a slightly more nuanced way than I have thought about it before. You told me they held up their phones and said, we know this is not authentic connection. We want something that feels like we are in a space where we can be seen. I believe, or I guess maybe, let me just throw this at you as a question or maybe a conversation topic, Patrick. I feel like the phone is part of the, the problem of the inability to connect. But I also think sometimes adolescents, young adults, older adults don't necessarily feel like they even find that in the same room with other people in church. Yeah. And so it's not just the phone. We can be in the same room and also feel very, very silenced or as if yeah. we can't have an authentic conversation, even embodied in a church building. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that's what they're craving. I think that's what we're all craving, yeah. actually. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Absolutely. And, and and that's what a lot of them talk about is, is they, you know, when, when they go to these, that to their student wards that, yeah, they're, they're, they're face to face, you know, that they, they go to sacrament meeting, they're, they're in Sunday school or relief society or, or whatever, 
but they don't feel a kind of connection, partly because, um, again, the church is doing what it's supposed to do in the sense of bringing together lots of people with different backgrounds, different ideas, different perspectives, right? It's it's not like social media that just groups like-minded people together. So the church at its best is in some ways the exact opposite of, of what we get on social media. But what that means, though, is that when you are wrestling when you're struggling, when you've got questions, when when you're when you feel like and and, and of course I, I think this happens especially with young people, but it can happen with anybody when you feel like nobody understands you, right? That your experience is different than than other people's. Then it, going to church, even though you're surrounded by 100, 200 people, can actually be very isolating and very alienating. It, it can actually reinforce the very things that you're feeling. Because at least you feel like, oh, they're all getting it and I'm not, right? They're all a certain way and I'm not. Now, now, now the fact is there's probably other people in the room feeling the exact same way that you are, but they're silently struggling as well. And we just don't have very good structures within our two-hour block to accommodate those kinds of conversations, that kind of difference, those we're just not good at uh, right now. Uh, we're we're good at other things, uh, at accomplishing other things in that two-hour block, but we're not good at acknowledging all of the difference uh, and real experiences and and really facilitating authenticity in in those two hours. It's just not what we do very well. And so so yeah, so the, so it's easy for people to walk away from from church feeling more lonely, more isolated. Uh, than than before they went, and so so I think there has to be a kind of both and thing. I mean, I I'm a huge believer in what we do on Sundays together as church. Again, precisely because we're gathering people together who are different. Going to church on Sunday is the main place where I encounter people on a weekly basis who are different than me, who have different politics than me, who have different life experiences than me. Otherwise, my li- I'm able to organize my life basically so I'm surrounded by people who are pretty much just like me if I want to, right? At work, I'm around other academics. On social media, I, you know, I can choose who I follow and so forth. I can curate my life, but not at church. So 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 church is really good, but but it's it, it's important for people to 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 find groups, to to find connection where they can then share those kinds of things, right? Where they can open up. And so yeah, what my students have talked about is they 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 understand and they value what happens at church but they need something else too, right? They don't want to replace church, but they need to supplement church with a different kind of community, different kind of conversation where they can open up and have the kind of conversations they need to have. Why do you suppose it's it's so challenging for us to be able to make, in general, I don't want to overgeneralize because I do think there are little pockets where this can happen, yeah. but it feels like, in what you're describing with your generation, the the Gen Z, the student population, and also in my cohort of people that I work so frequently with, that to find these places of gathering where people can actually talk about their wrestles and their doubts and their reservations and even things that they're very angry about or frustrated about. Mm-hmm. Uh, why why must we outsource that to your living room and to my Zoom room? <laughs> and yeah. why can't we as a community allow for people to come together who are in different places and find that the relationship is more important than the belief system? 
we can't, we seem to struggle mightily yeah. with that in the church. Will you speak, speak into that if you would? I hope you're enjoying this episode. Here is a quick update. Due to the growth of this platform, I am now focusing the vast majority of my professional time serving you, my people here in and around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as you progress on your faith expansion journeys. Therefore, beginning August 14th, 2023, all of my Friday Latter-day Struggles podcast episodes are available by subscription for the price of $9.99 a month. You're paying a couple of dollars a week will significantly support my work. All Monday episodes are still free as I want each of you to be aware of the great topics we are covering from week to week here on the Latter-day Struggles podcast. In my show notes at the bottom of each episode, you will find all of the information that you need to subscribe to the Friday episodes and also a Patreon link to become a one-time or a monthly patron for all of you out there who value my work enough to go above and beyond subscribing for this podcast. Your small cumulative contributions are a very significant way that you can support me in our faith journey together. So thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. Why do you suppose it's, it's so challenging for us to be able to make in general, I don't want to overgeneralize because I do think there are little pockets where this can happen, yeah. but it feels like in what you're describing with your generation, the, the Gen Z, the student population, and also in my cohort of people that I work so frequently with that to find these places of gathering where people can actually talk about their wrestles and their doubts and their reservations and even things that they're very angry about or frustrated about. Mm -hmm. uh, why, why must we outsource that to your living room and to my zoom room? <laughs> and yeah. why can't we as a community allow for people to come together who are in different places and find that the relationship is more important than the belief system. We can't, we seem to struggle mightily yeah. with that in the church. Will you speak, speak into that if you would? Yeah, I, I, I think we could get there. But it's just certainly not where we're at right now. And I think it's precisely because of what you said there at the very end, that we have the way that we've thought about what church is, is that we think of it as, as a place to participate in ordinances, so, so to take the sacrament. But then in terms of all the content, uh, whether it be in sacrament meeting or in the classes that we're in, we we have over the past many, many decades decided that that, that is the place where we teach doctrine. We, we put such an emphasis on unity. Uh, we put such a, an emphasis on um, sort of being together and, and fortifying people to then go out into the world that that's that's what we've designed those meetings to be. They, they're to, to teach doctrine, to fortify people, to, to get everybody on the same page. That, that that's just the, the, the primary value that, that we've assigned to, to that time together. Uh, there are other values that we could bring in. Right? There are other things that we could do with that time. 
but that's just the way we've we uh, both uh, as a culture, and then also, I mean, this this is the the direction from from church leaders as well is that that's what this time is is here for. Here's a lesson that's been you know the curriculum is prepared. Here it is. Your job is to deliver it. People in the class basically know the answers to the questions they're they're supposed to give. You know before the questions are even asked, um, and so. Uh, that's that's just what we've created. It, it and and like you, I've I've seen uh, sort of moments or bursts where it looks otherwise. A really skilled teacher can can absolutely transform a, a classroom, uh, not in a subversive way, but but to to do a both and thing. But we're also we're a lay church, right? It's you know when I go to when I go to elders quorum, it's Joe the plumber teaching the lesson, right? It's you know and. So, so people are just like getting through their lives and, and it's, it's sort of easy to, to, to settle in within our regular patterns rather than try to think creatively about actually, how do we, how do we, what do we want to do in this time and how could we do it? And of course, some people are just very comfortable in the rut. You know, some, some people are, are very happy uh, doing that. There's a kind of inertia and, and I, th- I think they kind of dominate some of those spaces. So it is harder for people who want more to um to to kind of change things up a little bit so it's tough i, I think our church meetings could be better uh, but at least right now I, I think you're right a lot of this just has to be outsourced for a lot of people it's sort of i i see this as is sad and tragic in some yeah. ways because what you're describing i agree with in that some of the more hungry interested in deeper spiritual growth and questioning and i mean this I think there's a really interesting paradox involved here in that those folks that come to church longing for this face-to-face authenticity and a communion with like community that is open to their struggles and strivings, that in and of itself is a deep form of worship. And sometimes that's experienced as something terrible, something wrong, something inappropriate, and that if you don't stay in this space of inertia, you're the problem. You're making the rest of us all uncomfortable. And so some of those that are the most hungry to commune with others and commune with God in the process feel as if they don't have a space to do that. Yeah, I, I, I was in uh, I was in an elders quorum uh, meeting, I don't know, a couple months ago, and it was actually kind of the rare elders quorum class where some differences of opinion were being expressed, right? They kind of hesitantly kind of, you know, kind of tiptoeing, but, but it was, it was like edging towards a productive conversation. (laughs) And then this, this kid who was like right off of his mission, uh, you know, full of zeal, he, he raised his hand and he said, he said, brethren, he says, I, I just, I'm not feeling the spirit because of all the contention in this room right now, right? So, so, so for him, th- this is where just as a people, I actually think fundamentally one of our flaws is as a people, we we don't know how to engage conflicts constructively. Amen. Right? We don't know how to engage differences of opinion. We don't know how to do this because we think difference of opinion is contention, therefore of the devil, et cetera, et cetera. So this young man is like, I'm not feeling the spirit, and, and like. You know, and and so then, of course, as a group, we d- we defer to him, right? I mean, it's 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 hard in that moment to teach him about how to engage conflict constructively. So so then we just settle back into to all agreeing with each other. 
you know, there's a lot of work, you know, I mean, your training, you know, gives you the tools to engage conflict constructively, right? And that and that's what you help other people do. I think that's one of the things that we have to learn as a people, because that's even more foundational, right? It, it's like, it, it, it does take a set of skills within a group, right? 25, 30, 40 people in a classroom, all of whom are different, right? It it actually takes a lot of skill to be able to manage a group like that and manage difference without it becoming heat. We don't want people yelling at each other in church. We don't want people, right, offending each other. So we do want to manage that space. And again, most teachers just don't have the skills or training to do that. And so it's, it, yeah, we're, we're a little bit stuck. Yeah, I see this almost in some ways as a, a self-perpetuating problem, meaning Absolutely. that if we consistently defer to the person who has the lowest comfort zone uh and 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 then can even back it with scripture you know conflict is of the devil and and therefore let's all conform back into this area of in my opinion low level thinking low level psychological uh maturity where we're back in the sunday school or the primary answers or whatever then it just perpetuates this culture where we can't not only have hard conversations because we don't know how to have them. And every time one starts to have one, they're labeled as the problem. Yep. And uh, I guess to me, I'm just wondering if you could talk, talk to me about what are your thoughts on how do we, this feels like one of those situations where change can happen, but it needs to happen at the, at the bottom, of course. And you mentioned also that some people in these settings, maybe this is where our Gen Z Mm -hmm. youth or young adults can help us teach us to know how to do this in the setting. I'm wondering, but my my thoughts are someone has to be able to have the ability and the skill set to shift the, the culture in these small settings in the classroom for those of us who are trying to engage in church and trying to not go crazy in so doing. Because at some point in time, some people do start saying, this is not worth my time and energy. I don't feel better after I have attended a Sunday school or a, a, a elders quorum or a Relief Society. I feel worse because I yeah. can't actually engage in a way that is bringing me closer to Jesus. I do better at home than mm-hmm. at church. So talk me through your thoughts on like, this is a problem that's only getting worse because I think we are, I think we're going through a spiritual awakening as a church. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of that that is coming again from our youth. They're teaching us things. I think culturally the world is changing in some really good, beautiful ways around marginalized populations. And if we don't figure out a way to engage authentically at church, we're going to lose some of our best and brightest. Yeah, we already are. We are. Yes. We already have. No, and and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I absolutely feel like the Spirit is moving upon the church. I really believe that. I believe the Holy Spirit is real, and I believe the Holy Spirit is doing its work uh, on, yep. on on the church right now. What now? Where and will we listen? Will we follow? I I don't know what that looks like. I'm a historian. I do better looking backward than than forward. But uh, but but I feel it, and I see it, and I sense it, um, and and I hear it. That the spirit is trying to to wrestle with with the church right now, and so yeah, I what you're really asking about is and and what we're talking about here is is about theory of change, right? How how does change happen? And you know there, there are grassroots theories of change. There's top down leadership theories of change. There's um, 
uh, in addition to getting uh, my PhD in history, I got a master's degree in peace studies. So I actually spent a lot of time and, and energy right now in the kind of peace building world. And we've just started a, a peace institute here at Utah State University. I'm teaching an intro to peace building course in the fall. So I spent a lot of, of time and headspace there. And 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 one of the the theories of change that that I was taught was a kind of middle out. You know, it's it's people like you and me with connections and and training people and and getting people together. So so there's all these different kinds of theories of change and they and that they all have things to recommend themselves to each other. Now myself, like I can't do anything about the top down, right? Um, I, I can pray, I can hope, you know, I, uh, again, you know, but, but there's nothing I can do directly about the kind of top down. I do think we could listen. If you listen, for instance, um, to President Nelson's talk on peace building, on, on, on peacemaking, uh, last general conference, it was amazing. It is, I think it's one of those, those talks that was prophetic with a capital P and that we're going to be reading a hundred years from now. Uh, and one of the things he talked about in there, this gets to, you know, our being able to, to, to deal with conflict that I think a lot of people missed is, is he talked about within the first presidency, his two counselors will disagree with each other over all kinds of things. I mean, he, he specifically said, like, we argue with each other, right? We, we come in with differences of opinions. We will do this. Um, sometimes we get to a resolution. Sometimes we don't. Right. We do it in a spirit of love. We do it in a spirit of generosity. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. I'm you know, I'm putting words in his mouth. But but it was this kind of beautiful example where he talked about his own first presidency and the way they deal this. And that's a great model if, if we could think about how to do that. So I think we th- this is just where we need professionals and where we need people who have been in this space to help teach us. So this is where social workers, psychologists are so significant because this is exactly what they do. From the world of peace building, this is exactly what we do. How do you deal with conflict constructively? My kind of theory is called conflict transformation theory. And it's not how do we get rid of conflict? It's how do we acknowledge the reality, the pervasiveness of conflict? Conflict is just baked into life. It's baked into human existence. So how do we deal with it transformatively and constructively and and productively rather because it can go either way. And so, so we just need, and and there are people working on this. I'm so encouraged by, by the cohort of of social workers and therapists and psychologists who are doing all kinds of work like you are Uh, increasingly peace builders as a program at BYU Hawaii, intercultural peace building that's training hundreds, thousands of students who are going out into the world with real skills like mediation skills mm-hmm. and these kinds of things. And they're going to take that into uh, in, uh, not only into the world, but into the church. So so I, I think this is part of the work of what the Spirit is doing right now is in teaching us these things. It's kind of slow. It, it, it's kind of uneven. It's kind of unsteady. You know, I, I think as Latter-day Saints, we all want a correlated program, right? <laughs> we want the church to open a department of peace building, you know, department of conflict transformation. I'm not sure that's the way it's going to happen. I, I think it's going to be about about people getting these skills, however they can get them, and then bringing them into our own church community. Let me ask you one final question as we close up this episode, and we will continue yeah. this conversation uh, next time. What I'm, first of all, I love that you have formal training in peace studies. Uh, that's one of my daughter's majors, actually. So, oh, really? Fantastic. Yeah. Good for, and I'm, this is what I'm seeing. I mean, this is like what Gen Z, this is what they want to do, right? They yep. want to go out and change the world. So they're majoring in these kinds of things, getting these kinds of skills. It's so awesome. It is so awesome and so incredibly helpful in the world that we live in right now. So I, 
it, it actually act, opens up for me. Like, I think, oh, wow. Now that I know that he has this kind of training, I have like 10 other questions. <laughs> but, <laughs> but one thing I do want to ask you on the heels of what you were just sharing, as far as how it pertains to our church community, when, when we're thinking about, I think, and I think it sounds like you think also the vital importance of learning how to engage in complex ideas, complex conversations, complex backgrounds, feelings, thoughts, ideologies, that right there, when people have that skill set to do that, uh, that becomes in some ways an environment where people feel safe because the reason for gathering is not to conform, it's to grow. Okay. Now I'm thinking about our church community and my fear, my worry is that we are not trained on how to grow. We're trained on how to conform. Mm -hmm. And then when people have their crisis and they recognize that they are not being encouraged to grow, but they're being encouraged to conform to ideas, some of which they agree with and really resonate with them, some of which they really don't agree with, and they don't even feel like it helps them come closer to God. Yeah. And then furthermore, their desire to engage in this community that they have grown up in sometimes rejects them it does really in some ways make a path out very, very um, viable, if not desirable. People do leave. I guess I'm not asking you a question as much as I'm noticing as I'm, I'm learning from you that this is a very real problem because spiritually growing people that want to engage in this conversation, they, they aren't finding a safe space to do it. And so then they feel as if they have to leave, even if they don't want to leave, because they can't, they, they can't go back. People that are growing can't ungrow, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, once you're out of Eden, you can't go back, yeah. right? Actually, Jared Halverson, he's a professor at BYU, he talks about this and kind of his paradigm of faith transition. It's like, you got to leave the garden, all right? And, and the fall is a scary place, but we believe in a, in a fortunate fall, a positive fall, right? And so like, how do you get out of that? How do you grow from that? How do you learn from that rather than just getting stuck there? I think our church is is pretty phenomenal on growth until somebody is about eighteen uh, or, or or goes on a mission. We we're, we're not we're, really our our primary and youth programs are terrific. They're the envy of other churches. Um, we we do a terrific job with our youth and the amount of resources that we pour in there to to help them grow and develop and give them structure and 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 to to get them on missions into the temple. Right, that that's like our whole. Uh, focus and and I, it's is it perfect? No, but is it phenomenal? Yes, but but we have so little for adults. Yeah, right. Like once somebody's been on a mission, once somebody's gone to the temple, it's kind of like good luck with the next sixty years of your life. Right, kind of figure it out. Keep coming. Keep serving. And and I do think service and the service opportunities that the church provides do provide a lot of growth, but it's. We're we're just not very good on on adult growth and and all that that means recognizing that be, because we have with with children and youth I think we do have a vision of like kind of what that looks like what what it, what a growth path looks like what what a healthy childhood and and healthy adolescence looks like healthy adulthood may the tree might start growing some different branches mm -hmm. at, at that point and and we just haven't figured out how to do that so. so 
so much of it does rely on individuals to to take charge of their own growth. Again, I wish our community could could and and hopefully will do more to support that. But it does uh, individuals are responsible for a lot of this, and this is where I, I'm just um, I've been so proud of of these students who are coming into our home because this is exactly the mindset and the mentality that they have. Um, one of the few messages, again, I'm trying hard not to play guru in, in this group, but one of the my consistent messages to them is religion cannot be the least sophisticated part of your life, right? Here you are, you're in college, you're, you're on the, you know, you're adults, you're learning like whatever, you, you know, you're in biology or business or history or whatever, like you're encountering the world in, in really sophisticated ways, right? All these new ideas and all these, you know, you're dealing with complexity, you're dealing with uh, all the social complexity of, of becoming adults, all the marriage and all these kinds of things. You can't take uh, the same religion that you had as a 14-year-old going to youth conference. That's not going to get you through all the challenges and complexities of adulthood, right? There, there are some bedrock less, lessons there that you can translate. There's a foundation there. But your religion has to grow up with you. Yeah. And, um, and you've got to let it. You've got to let it breathe. You've got to let it grow. You've got to let it stretch and develop. And you've got to, it's it's got to, to be at least as complex as your life is if it's going to serve your life well. And that's what I see these students doing. That's what they're hungry for. They very much have a growth mindset. And they're wrestling with these paradoxes, right? They are wrestling with, how do I live true to my values? Um, many of which, most of which I learned at church. Right. While also participating in this institution and this community among people who don't always share my values and, and where my values aren't always reflected. Like, how do I live in that paradox? How do I lean into that paradox? And what I love, what's beautiful about this group and these students is like they don't have to be there. I think for for, for their generation, the cost of non-participation in the church is very, very low. Right. For our generation, it was still like to leave the church was like a big deal and like the sense of social cost, especially if you lived like in, in the Western United States or came from a Mormon family, right? And this is why people end up in therapy, right? I mean, it's it's like the, the, the cost was high and, and that cost is real. For, for my students' generation, other than maybe some familial costs, like with grandparents or something like that, maybe parents, the, the social cost of leaving the church is very, very low. In fact, the incentives are probably otherwise. Yeah. And so for them to be in a space, for them to be in my living room on a Sunday evening saying, we want to work through this. We want to talk about this. We want to work this out. That is like the most tremendous act of faith I could possibly see. Right. They want to be there. They want to lean into the struggle. They want to lean into the paradox. They want to encounter Christ and become better people. And what, what they say, like I've heard them say this week after week after week. It's amazing. Again, so much wisdom. They say, I don't want to create God in my own image, wow. right? I have my own values. I have things, but but I don't I don't want to worship myself. I don't I you know so I th like they are seekers. They want to know the truth. They want to know what is good. They want to they want to live their lives in the fullest way possible. They recognize complexity and and they want to wrestle with that and they want to do it in community. And to me, I just see. I, I see that as such a healthy, I, I don't know where they're all going to be in, in five years, 10 years, one year, right? In terms of their relationship to the church. 
but I hope that as they do this together, as as they as they realize they can do it, they can have these conversations uh, to feel empowered. This is one of the things we do talk about a lot. Is like we want you to leave our house feeling empowered to to go do this with your roommates, right? To 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 go do this in your relief societies, to go do this in your elders' quorum. So I, we, to, you now can model this for other people. You know the kinds of conversations we've had here. So if they can do that, uh, that's again, I, I just have so much hope based on what I'm seeing with these students and the kind of faith that they're exhibiting. I couldn't love that more. And I just am so grateful for, I want to send, you know, as many of these truth seeking spiritual giants your way. And I would love to see more homes being opened up for university students to be having these kinds of beautiful, rich conversations, because not only, I, I mean, this is the way I see this, Patrick, it's like, whether you're in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or, and I'm, I'm in the Midwest, and so I'm surrounded by beautiful Protestants and evangelicals, mm-hmm. there's so much that's very similar about the growth and development of a human being in the context of faith. And they're in a really beautiful growth spurt kind of place in these young adult years. And if we, as their parents and mentors, could open a space for them literally in your case or in other ways for them to just to say, we trust you. You're wise, you're strong, you're competent, you're capable. And we want you to feel like if, if you can take all of these spiritual gifts that you have and integrate them into some sort of a faith system, a faith tradition, because maybe you don't need the church, but the churches sure need you. And that circles me back to something else that you said, which is that the way I think we hold on to this generation in terms of helping them feel as if they have a, a community of worship, if they want that, is to give a little bit more liberality about what worship can be for them. It's not about you have to believe a strict set of beliefs or else, because based on what's going on socially, if we put that ultimatum out there, what we're asking for is for many of them to leave. They simply are going to follow the direction of their primary teachers <laughs> and they're going to walk away because if they need to walk with people that Jesus walked with, sometimes they're being invited out. And so if we want to help them see that, no, there's a place for you and for all of us, it can't be about this is right and this is wrong. And you have to believe like the black and white inner out, you know, all in all of that rhetoric, I think has to go away. Because what we're inviting is some sort of a spiritual and psychological rigidity that maybe our generation um, manages, you know, better in not a complimentary way. <laughs> but those, those we just this, internalize it, right? That's right. Yeah. We internalize it, and then I have a busy private practice as a therapist. Right. right. But these kids don't do that. No. They're going to say, "Okay, that's fine. If 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 I have to be all in, I guess I have to be all out." But what you're talking about is encouraging psychological agency. Uh, you're, you're encouraging them to open up and to talk and to be a part of a, a bigger, larger conversation. And in so doing, changing the culture of an institution so that we can derive all that is good uh, and slowly root out that which um, does not serve us and does not bring us closer to God. That's kind of what I'm hearing and much of what you're saying. Anything Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. And it, it's, it's, as, as we wrap up, I mean, I just want to, a couple of things bouncing off what you were saying. I one of the things I'm we, we hear from, from these students is they recognize that they do need the church, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes we do use that line, right? Like, 
whether or not you need the church, the church needs you. Mm. Like they recognize they do need the church. They need all the things that the church does offer uniquely mm. um, and, in terms of community, in terms of doctrine, in terms of spiritual experiences, spiritual power, opportunities to serve, growth, uh, being in a space where you hear about Jesus, where you hear lessons about love and forgiveness and all these kinds of things. So so one of the really encouraging things to me is is when, when they say that we need the church, not in that kind of black and white way, right? The, the kind of duty bound way, but they recognize that actually the church at its best and when they're participating in it in, a, in authentic ways, it actually becomes a vehicle for, for the growth uh, that, that they're seeking. And that's that's a beautiful thing. And the other thing is like having a group like this in your home, this isn't rocket science, right? I just encourage anybody to do this, right? Just open your home to other people. Maybe it's college students. Maybe it's just the people in your ward, right? Or, you know, other people that you know, right? Uh, and just because right now the, 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 the two-hour block is not ideally suited for these kinds of conversations, it means they have to happen elsewhere. And I really believe that living room couches and dining room tables are the best place to do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, open open your homes, open your hearts. The only thing it requires, I think, is the the humility to to to, to be silent. If my wife and I are bringing a virtue to this, is that we are trying really really hard. It is their space. Now, now sometimes they'll ask our opinions or we'll share a perspective. One time they asked me to lead them through a kind of close reading of the parable of the prodigal son. So we did that together. So, you know, it's 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 not like I'm uh, silent or that I leave the room, but but it's I, I'm a professor. I profess for a living. I talk for a living. Uh, <laughs> and so so the, the the one thing that's required of me is the humility to sit back and keep my mouth closed. Just let the conversation happen. Let it flow. And it's OK. Last thing I'll say about this is is. I was talking about this with 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 some other people and they said, well, how do you make sure that it doesn't go off the rails? Right. Again, that's that's like such a, a Latter-day Saint thing to say, like, you know, <laughs> there's like a right answer and a wrong answer. Right. Yeah. How do you make sure it doesn't go off the rails? I say, first of all, I don't care if it goes off. The, I'm, I don't even know what the rails are exactly. Right. But first of all, I'm OK with that, because, again, this is human beings having human conversations, but also at least in our experience, what we've seen, again, because these are seekers, because these are faithful people, these are people who want to make it work, because the Spirit is present among us, because these are Christ seekers, right? If it's, quote unquote, off the rails, it always comes back on, right? They bring it They bring it back, back in, because again, their desire, their heart, their faith, their wisdom brings it back. So so that there's room for the questions, there's room for the anger and and there's anger expressed, there's frustration expressed. There's, you know, I hated that conference talk, right? You know, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. But it's it's there there's also a kind of centeredness about it because fundamentally these are people who want to seek and follow Christ. Do you find in your last question, we keep saying that, but (laughs) just quick, quick last question. Is it okay in your venue if these adolescents and young adults don't want to be a part of the church anymore before their own good reasons? How do you manage that idea in in your setting? Yeah, hundred percent. Just from what they shared, they're all over the map. We've got every week attenders. We've got once a month attenders. We've got people who haven't been to church for quite a while and are wondering whether they'll go back. And so it's it's all over the map. And 
we want them to be healthy. We want them to ha be happy. I do have an agenda in the sense that I want them to feel loved. Uh, I want them to to live a life full of love. I want them to live a life full of purpose. At you know, kind of my deepest core, I'm a Christian. I want them to seek and follow Christ. Uh, and so, uh, so I, I won't say it's a completely blank slate, right? I, I want them to, to to expose them, and I want them to, to to feel all those things. I want them to 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 be in a place to engage. Um, where where they can feel the spirit, where they can feel God's love, where they can feel God's hear God's voice uh, in in their life, um, but I also recognize the the, the God's plan is bit bigger than my plan, uh, and so I have trust and confidence that the the God will lead them in the ways that they need to go, and and maybe sometimes they they need to follow follow their own path uh, as part of that. So so yeah, so I'm not trying to you know, we're not trying to get them to conform to a particular set of things right now. And, and, and you know, that makes some church members uncomfortable. The fact that, that like the takeaway every week isn't, okay, now go to church next Sunday. Um, so I, I get that. But I I guess I just have the confidence. For me, all of this is based in a really lively sense that our heavenly parents really do love us eternally, completely, and infinitely. I believe in an infinite and eternal atonement. I, I really do. And so because of that, that allows me a kind of grace, a kind of humility that uh, I, I, I think our mother and father are going to take care of their children. So it kind of lowers some of the stress and stakes for me, like, what's going to happen in the next five minutes, because I think our heavenly parents are playing the long game. Thank you so much for that, Patrick. I, what you just shared in a nutshell is why what you're doing is healing. I, I think about in my own formal training, some beautiful psychology, good psychology is actually good theology. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when I realized, and I then I, I learned it, and then I started seeing it, and I've seen it over and over and over again, that when people are loved, they are drawn to light. And you could say in a different way, they are drawn to love, they are drawn to God. And so all we need to do in our own respective ways is provide them the environment where they feel loved and they will heal. They will be drawn toward light. And whatever that looks like on a Sunday morning is really none of your business and none of my business, especially because what we can do is actually just trust in our heavenly parents that they have, they have it covered, <laughs> they, that they're taking care of these beautiful children uh, that we get the privilege of being in connection with and just providing them the fertile environment for their own healing and growth in this life. And so I, I love what you're talking about. Let's go ahead and close this episode up and we will start. Uh, we'll have our continue our conversation. I have a few extra questions about the youth and then we'll kind of maybe move beyond that. And we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Dialogue Podcast Network.